This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Monica. Killed any kaiju lately? Andrew, what's a kaiju? It's a giant monster that's coming to kill us all. You haven't killed one lately? How do we kill a kaiju? In our giant robot suits, because that's the best way. But what are they called, Andrew? They're called Jaegers. There we go. This is episode number 57 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie, Oh my god, it's finally here! The monsters are like, roar, And the robots are like, blur, And then they fight like, kaboom! <laughs> Actual title. I'm sorry, I think that's just what my Twitter feed would have you believe that the movie is called. The real title is Pacific Rim. Not quite as exciting. Not important. Actual geographic location could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever there's monsters versus robots. It's somewhere in the Pacific. Yeah. If you're new to Cinema Fix, this is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. We are here to satisfy your addiction to quality conversation about the movies, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part, which you're listening to right now, is a 10-minute long spoiler-free review of the film. That way you can get an idea of what we thought about it and whether or not it's worth your time to check out. The second part is a much more in-depth analytical discussion that does contain spoilers, so if you've seen the movie and you would appreciate that type of conversation about what works and what doesn't, definitely listen to part two. This week we're going to be talking about Pacific Rim. Monica, why don't you give our listeners a little information about the movie? Sure thing. It was directed by Guillermo del Toro, and he sets this story into the future, an interdimensional port now allows giant alien monsters called kaiju to come to Earth. Humanity stops them in the most logical way possible by creating giant mechanical robots called Jaegers to fight back. Each Jaeger has two pilots that are neurally connected in order for them to control it. One man, Raleigh Beckett, played by Charlie Hunnam, teams up with a rookie, Rinko Kikuchi, to fight the kaiju and save the human race. Here's a clip. I believe that kaiju bone powder is 500 bucks a pound. What do you want? I need to access a kaiju brain. Completely intact. No, no, no. The skull plate is so dense that by the time you drill into it... The brain's rotted away, but I'm talking about the secondary brain. Now, we both know that the kaiju are so large, they need two brains to move around like a dinosaur. I want to get my hands on that. Hmm. What the hell do you want a secondary brain for anyway? I mean, every part of the kaiju cell. Corvage, spleen, liver... Even the crap with the brain. Too much ammonia. So what's the deal, little fella? Well, that's classified. So I couldn't tell you, even if I wanted to. But it is pretty cool. This is part one of our episode on Pacific Rim, so we're just going to take ten minutes to give some general thoughts on the movie. I'm starting the clock now. Monica, this has been a highly anticipated movie for a lot of people, especially on the internet, especially for, <laughs> for nerds. Let's just come out and say it. It's robots versus aliens. I don't understand why this doesn't appeal to everyone right now. And it's directed by Guillermo del Toro, who yes. has a huge fan following. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Pacific Rim? Is this the summer movie we have been waiting for? 
I'm not going to declare a summer movie just yet because the summer ain't over until it's over, but I will say it is probably one of my top summer movies. I found it to be kind of old-fashioned fun. It's really just silly action sequences, but at the same time, it's entertaining. The story draws you in. I really like the, like you like to say, the world building in this I found very fascinating. A few drawbacks would probably be that the characters are all basically stock characters. Not a big fan of the voiceover. But for the most part, relatively minor flaws in comparison to the whole, what is it, over two hours or so of a movie that actually got me excited and got me, you know, invested in its action sequences that I thought was really interesting. A lot of it's animated in the rain and looks really cool. But yes, I had a good fangirl moment there. I agree with you. I actually like this movie, and I'm kind of surprised that I like this movie because my brain is telling me I should hate this movie. But I can't hate this movie. But the other half says, you so like this movie. My inner 12-year-old thinks this is the greatest movie ever made. I think everybody's 12-year-old sees this movie and is like, yes, was waiting for this. Where have you been since I was 12? Yes, it's Robots vs. Monsters. And sure, you can say Robots vs. Monsters, and that sounds awesome. But mm-hmm. how many times have we gone to these tentpole movies that have really simple yet awesome sounding premises that turn out to be terrible. Cowboys versus aliens? Sure, yeah. (laughs) Speaking of another versus versus versus. (laughs) Just because your movie has a a good premise doesn't mean that that premise alone is going to be able to to make it a good film. Mm -hmm. And I find myself looking at this movie as a critic and thinking, I shouldn't like this. But I do, and it's largely because of Guillermo del Toro's direction and how he directs a lot of these big action sequences. This is one of the rare cases where just the scope of the spectacle Mm -hmm. was so impressive it allowed me to overlook a lot of this movie's flaws. Like, I was just sitting in the theater just kind of thinking, wow, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe how good this looks. I can't believe how well this is edited. It's actually pretty good craftsmanship, where we were complaining last week that The Lone Ranger was awful craftsmanship. This is pretty darn good. This is how you direct action sequences. There we go. And I felt the entire time like Guillermo del Toro was flipping the bird to Fast and Furious 6. And saying, no, this is how you direct action scenes at night. This is how it's done. Because I could fully follow everything that was happening. I could see the choreography, even though you're dealing with giant robots and giant beasts. And I'm thinking to myself, I probably shouldn't be able to understand all that's happening. I could, 95% of the time. One, it's called Furious 6. Two... How do you not follow cars running around on a like a sort of racetrack? When it's at night and all the cars are black and there aren't very many light sources. I think your theater has a problem because I was able to see it just fine. And though we did complain about an earlier movie, Die Hard 5, that was just awful and we couldn't tell which way was up from oh, either yeah. the action sequences. Like, that is a bad Example of an action sequence. I would not throw Furious 6 under that bus. I didn't like the action scenes of Furious 6 and found them hard to follow, but they're masterpieces compared to Die Hard 5. But the action scenes of Pacific Rim, 
they're well lit because they either take place in the city or they take place in the ocean where the lights from the kaiju and the Jaegers are reflecting off of everything. Conveniently fluorescent kaiju. Yeah, which is helpful. Yes, for night sequences. Hmm. All of a sudden there's laser eyes and shooty things. I was able to follow all the action and I just had a lot of fun. Now, after the movie, I sat back and realized, yeah, this could have been better. But at the time as I was watching it, the spectacle made me forget a lot of those concerns. Fair. Yeah, the spe- I mean, the, obviously the whole magnitude. I mean, I'm guessing these Jaegers are probably bigger than most Transformers, or at least it seemed like <laughs> in the, the scope of things. And the Kaiju are huge Godzilla creatures. So it's kind of impossible not to stand in awe of that, especially if you see it in something like an IMAX or so, where it's a 40-foot screen and there's these huge monsters just filling that up space. Yeah, I didn't see it in IMAX and I didn't see it in 3D. And from what I've heard, the 3D really adds nothing. I was actually surprised. I did see it in 3D, but it was actually sharp. I didn't feel like the colors were too much dulled and I didn't feel like it blurred too much of the action. So I, I did like the 3D, but I, I again, I wouldn't recommend. It, it doesn't really add anything. There's not silly pop-out scenes where, you know, people point at the camera or anything that would make it stand out too much. It's more like it does try to add a little bit of depth, but you don't need that so much in a lot of the battle sequences that take place in, like, landscapes. You know, them out in the ocean where a lot of space is happening. Uh, I feel like depth of perception takes place better in indoors to like give people sense of more of that realistic surrounding. So you would suggest that people go see it in like IMAX 2D if they can find it in, in IMAX 2D? And they can find it. I know it's probably just shuffling around in 3D, but I did like it. I mean, obviously, go see it on the big screen. This would be one of those that I would recommend go see it in theaters, not on your laptop. I don't think (laughs) the effect doesn't really come across when it's a huge Godzilla monster breaking down a wall and you don't have your wall shaking from the sound. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what the, the last movie I saw was that really just impressed me with its scope. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, maybe it was Avatar... And then I was thinking, well, I didn't see it in theaters, but maybe it was John Carter. I don't know. John Carter was great in theaters. I did get to see that there. That just kind of impressed me with the scope of its story, though. Well, that's more of the source material, I guess. Yeah, but in terms of just that new world and that idea that anything could happen and and you're seeing these really fantastic things play out on screen, Mm -hmm. Pacific Rim was just was pretty fantastic. Yeah, no, that... The world building was great. I will say, though, Charlie Hunnam, not a good choice as a lead actor. Not American. Not not American. <laughs> Spoiler alert. That accent was driving a lot of people crazy. And I could hear whispers around, is he trying to be American? <laughs> there were times when the accents in this movie made it hard to understand what they were saying. Uh-huh. And when you combine that, especially with, like, all the sound and the music and the really loud noises that are frequently going on, mm-hmm. it can be hard to understand what people are saying at times. Yeah. But, yeah, Charlie Hunnam, it wasn't his accent. I just I just thought his performance overall was just really pretty awful. And mm-hmm. I was debating in my mind, like, 
Who do I like more, Charlie Hunnam or Sam Worthington? Ooh, do I like this brick wall or that brick wall? Yes. That is the question. Idris Elba's in this movie. He's great. Yes, his character's awesome. Charlie Day is great as some comic relief. But the leads in this movie, Charlie Hunnam and, to a lesser extent, Rinko Kikuchi, are pretty bad. No, I bought her. You know who annoyed me, though? The weird British, the mathematician guy who was with Charlie Day. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah, yeah. He was just, it was the sort of straight man, funny man routine. And it was just played a little too much where it was, I know this feels weird, but it seemed like almost out of place in a movie about monsters and robots. <laughs> it, it, it worked for me. It was Really? Okay. I don't know. Maybe because he got on my nerve or something. I took Charlie Day more than that guy. You're dealing in archetypes here. Oh, yeah. I, I, everybody is a sort of stock character. Yeah. Neither of those uh, supporting characters are developed very well, but I liked kind of their whole rivalry slash friendship. Yeah. And how that played out. Um, I thought it, it provided some moments of fun relief between mm-hmm. scenes of monster on robot carnage. I think his uh, name is Burn Gorman? Yes. Who I believe I saw in the TV series The Hour, if anyone's listening. That's a pretty good British series that lasted two seasons and he had a small role in that and was pretty good and i spent the entire movie trying to think where have i seen you where have i seen you the hour so yeah the performances range from pretty good to awful Mm -hmm. but the action is good enough to make up for a lot of its flaws i will say monica i think that this movie could have gone down as a sci-fi classic in the vein of something like Star Wars. Why? Are there going to be more sequels? Supposedly the screenwriter has some sequels planned. Uh, can we just leave it? I like... I'm okay. You know what? A lot of the sequences reminded me of Blade Runner. We could just leave it at one. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Standalone, like a good strong movie that I could... I'll flip on the channel and I'm like, oh, I like this. I'll watch this. And then I don't need to worry about, oh, but this one's the lesser sequel. This is number three. Ew. Yeah, I, I agree. There's no need for a sequel. And thankfully, in this movie, they never it never feels like it's building towards a sequel. It never feels like it's going to hinge on a sequel. And thank God, because that tends to be the trend nowadays. And for a lot of the movies that then don't get sequels, it's just a really poor ending to an otherwise poor film. Yeah, and this just feels like a fun, standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Star Wars was, was originally intended to be, according to some people. And, you know, I think if they had done some more work with the characters and really explored some of the some of the things that they touch on a little bit in this movie, I think it could have been just excellent. Like, one of the best movies of the year. As it stands, it's a really fun way to spend two hours. Yeah. I'm trying to think, because it does, it does a little bit go through the Star Wars arc a bit. Now I'm thinking about it. Of the hero getting plucked back up. Well, we can talk about it some in part two. Yeah, yeah. I like this movie. I recommend go see it. Yay, we agree on something. Yeah, I think overall we do agree. I've been making my 2013 movie rankings project over at filmgeekradio.com where I've been ranking all the movies I see this year, and the Pacific Rim is currently in the top 25%, so it's pretty good. Pretty good. 
I think that'll wrap it up for part one of our episode on Pacific Rim. Don't forget to tune into part two of our discussion for a much more in-depth conversation about it. And don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing The Conjuring. <laughs> Spooky. Is it Conjuring or Conjuring? That was The Conjuring. I don't know. I can't speak is English. Is this a Rizza-Jizza issue? Probably. I assumed it was Conjuring, but is it Conjuring? I don't know. I'll find out in the movie. We'll find out. <laughs> Hopefully somebody says the title in the movie, and then we'll know where the proper emphasis belongs. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place. And once again, uh, we've brought back our weekly podcast all about the HBO series The Newsroom, which is called Navigating the Newsroom, so you can check that out. And I'm also co-hosting a new weekly podcast about the last season of the Showtime series Dexter. That show is called Avenging Angels. So yeah, check out all that stuff at filmgeekradio.com. we got a lot of shows that we're airing, both old and new. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. And they can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Phone Critics Association website at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this weekly high on Cinebus. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!